Hey guys, it's competition time. How would you like to be interviewed on the Game Changers Experience podcast as a top thought leader and industry game changer? Well, you can. I'm offering one lucky spot to one lucky listener who'd like to come up onto the show. Now, the great thing about this show is that it's in the top 2.5% global rankings. We're in 43 different countries and we have thousands of downloads from around the world. So if you want to get your message out there in the in the big wide world, this is a great opportunity to do so. Now, there's a couple of things that you've got to do. Number one is you've got to leave a five-star review on Apple or on Spotify and then send me a screenshot or tag me. You can send me a screenshot to hello at adamstrong.net. hello at adamstrong.net. And also buy me a coffee. The link is below. Buy me a coffee. Buy me a coffee based on the value that you get from the show personally. And then we'll be reviewing applicants over the next couple of weeks. And I'll be making an announcement on June 15th on the lucky winner. So listen, good luck. And uh, we'll see you soon. Take care. This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Game Changers Experience with myself, Adam Strong. And today, we have another fantastic show, and uh, we have a, a great guy on the show. His name is called John Rossman. Now, John is a business strategist. He's an operator and an expert on digital transformation. Uh, he's a leadership and business reinvention specialist as well. He's consulted with really big companies, huge companies, in fact, such as Fidelity, Microsoft, Walmart, and Nordstrom, just to mention a few. He served as the innovation advisor at T-Mobile, and is also um, he also served as the um, as the uh, uh, as the tech advisor at the Gates Foundation, which is a real privilege as well. He's written three books in the series which is called the Amazon Way. So it's the Amazon Way book series as well. Uh, and he also used to be the former Amazon executive and was responsible for the transition or the invention of the Amazon marketplace, which, uh, which I believe this was around 2002. So um, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, we're going to be talking about digital transformation. It's one of those really interesting topics right now. In fact, it's a hot topic that everyone should be talking about. I don't care which leader you're at or what company you're working for. Digital is where we are transitioning into, ladies and gents. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that. We're going to be talking a little bit about um, John's Amazon 14 leadership principles that he talks about in the Amazon Way book as well. We're also going to be talking a little bit about Jeff Bezos and some of the insights that maybe maybe John can talk about as well about what he had learned in terms of being part of that Amazon culture, which I think is really quite fascinating. Uh, but also, um, you know, what is it that as leaders, what is it that we need to do to uh, um, adapt and embrace a digital transformation? Because, you know, sometimes it can be really difficult to um to adapt to change right it can be extremely resilient you can be especially you've probably heard of the saying ladies and gentlemen gentlemen you've probably heard of the saying you can never teach an old dog new tricks so you've probably heard of that saying before right but anyway listen i digress 
I digress. John, welcome to the show. Adam, great to be here. I hope I live up to your expectations and your energy. <laughs> I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. Listen, I'm thoroughly enjoyed uh, some of our offline conversations, and and you know, I, I, I you know, I, I really enjoy some of the um, uh, some of the things that you're working on right now, and and they're very much in tune with today's world. You know, especially over the last couple of years now, um, and coming out of more what we call the information age and moving into the digital age, aren't we now? And I don't know what your thoughts are about that. Would you agree? Yeah, um, the, the mission of Rossman Partners is to help our clients compete and win in the digital era. It's that plain and simple. And I think every company, um, no, no longer are, are boards and CEOs dismissing like, oh, you know, kind of those West Coast uh, uh, lunatics and, you know, this too shall pass, you know, kind of mindset. Everybody knows like in, in big ways and small ways, you have to transform um, how you go about your business. And oftentimes we do that through kind of digital models and digital technologies. And so, and so now the problem is like, well, how do we actually do that? Mm, that's, that's the multi-million dollar question, ladies and gents. So let's, let's, let's dive straight into this. Yeah, let, let, let's put a B behind that. Multi-billion dollar question. <laughs> a billion, absolutely, uh, the billion dollar question. Aha moment. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because it is, a, it is a billion dollar question. So let's talk a little bit about what um, what is digital transformation? I'd like to know, you know, and, and also why is it so important in this day and age? What's your thoughts? Yeah, it, well, a big question, right? And a, and a, and a really important one. And, and I like obvious questions like that. What is digital transformation? There's probably lots of definitions out there. But the way I think about becoming digital, it's really about recognizing that there's two playbooks management teams have to recognize and realize the distinction between and continue to sharpen. The first playbook is what I would call the speed playbook, right? You're a runner. If you understand speed is about highly efficient, highly predictive, predictable, um, uh, highly repeatable motion. Well, that's operational excellence in a business. We have to continue to understand how do we scale to achieve the operational impact that we need, hitting every customer promise with high SLAs. That's speed. That's part of digital transformation. The other attribute, which is distinctly different, is agility, right? Agility in an athlete is the ability to sense and make change happen. Sometimes that's small change, sometimes that's big change, right? If it, but people don't recognize that those are two distinctly different muscle sets, uh, A, within an athlete and B, within a company, right? And so we use digital capabilities in both of those. But what I think digital transformation is, is the ability for a company at scale and in a repeatable systematic um, uh, way to be both an expert at speed, at scaling, and at agility, which is the ability to in invent and reinvent ourselves and our business. That's what digital transformation is all about. Mm, I love that. That's a, that's a good analogy. I love that. That's, uh, that's very, very cool. So I know that, um, interestingly enough, I know that you wrote a book called The Amazon Way, which actually is not about Amazon, but it talks about the guiding principles around leadership practices, what you had learned as being as part of that culture and stuff. But can you just give us some insights on the 
14 different leadership principles that you'd learn as part of that culture and, and, and what they're all about? Yeah, so I, I had the opportunity, I was a, a leader at Amazon from early 2002 through late 2005. I got to run two businesses. I launched the marketplace business. I ran enterprise services. The leadership principles weren't codified at that point, but we were, we were figuring them out every single day. Like, hey, how do we prioritize? How do we make decisions? How do we hold each other accountable? How do we think about kind of short-term results, results versus long-term results? And those things became the leadership principles. The, the first and the most famous is about customer obsession that leaders uh, start with the customer and work backwards. They work vigorously to earn and keep customer trust. They pay attention to competitors, but they obsess about customers. But that's just one of 14. Um, and so really the rest of those four of, of the 13 help support, like how do we put the customer first across the business and recognizing we, 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 we strive for a great customer experience, but we have to deliver a great business also, right? And so those are the leadership principles. So I think some of like an example of a really interesting one that helps us um, think slightly differently is a, a principle that's called are right a lot. And it reads like this, leaders are right a lot. They have strong judgment and good instincts. They seek diverse perspectives and work to disconfirm their beliefs. I was listening to one of your prior cod, uh, podcasts and they were talking about CEO blind spots, right? This leadership principle helps address that exact notion of blind spots. As we become experts in our business, that is a blind spot. How do you, uh, a leader is expected to be right a lot, but what's the input? Like, well, how do I get better at being um, uh, right a lot and avoiding blind spots? Well, it's by what you listen to, the especially the opinions and information that disconfirm your current assumptions or belief in your business and in the world. Those are how you, you learn new things. And then you filter those into, well, what should I be doing next relative to my business? So that's an, an example of both a principle, but mechanisms that help support that principle, like bring it to life, right? A repeatable thing that you can do. Mm -hmm. And one of the notions I talk a lot about in, in leadership is, is I, I, I use the athletic um, metaphor as, as you do, which is we all want the championship moments, right? We all want to be on the stand. We want we want a business that has growth. We want a business that that is is famous for customer um, uh, uh, delight and and results. But what we're not willing to do is we're not willing to do the everyday work, the inputs in order to get there. So what I I really work on is like, hey, what are the little things we need to be doing every single day, surrounded by great strategy, so that we have the opportunity, not guaranteed, but the opportunity to maybe have a championship moment. Love it, love it. Some very good. I, I love that. Some great stuff there. Um, interesting. I have to ask you this question, by the way. Did you ever work with Jeff Bezos as in like, you know, did you have regular meetings with him? I mean, yes, I did not report to Jeff, but especially in the first two years when I was there, when we were launching and figuring out the marketplace business, which today is over 58% of all units shipped and sold over 2 million uh, sellers on that platform. Crazy. We we would meet weekly to you know go through the situation. I also traveled a bit with Jeff to some of our key clients uh, and everything. Yeah. And uh, I, I suppose it's interesting because, you know, back in the early 2000s, I mean, 
you know, we're talking about digital transformation now in 2022. He's way ahead of his game, right? I mean, literally, he was creating those systems and processes and frameworks 20 years ago. I'm like, what? Yeah. what the hell am I and, doing? And, and, <laughs> and, 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 and what were people saying, right? They were saying, like, he doesn't know what he's doing. It's unsustainable. Right. You know, it, it won't work in the long run, you know, and and I think that's that's part of having conviction around your your mission, but willing be willing to adjust your your strategies and your techniques relative to to that mission. And and um, you know, one of the things I would I would say about Jeff and Amazon is everybody remembers kind of the last ten years when essentially kind of the stock has been up and to the right, and you know he, he's gotten more and more kind of famous and 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 wealthy. He earned every single dollar relative to that. There was a period of about nine years where that stock was flat, and Amazon was being doubted, and he believed in the same things. He acted the same way. He was an optimist a problem solver and he used these leadership principles to help build the culture of Amazon and so um, I really uh, respect him and what he did and um, uh, I, th I, I think it's just you know one of a, a, a great set of stories about somebody who kind of sees a, a better way of going about things and is willing to put you know push all his chips into the table and and kind of go for it and stuck at it for a long long time before he started to get rewarded for it. You know, it's really interesting because I mean, Amazon essentially, you know, they they didn't make any money for so long. So I'm sure that they, he had a lot of doubters and a lot of critics in his ears and trying to sow seeds in his, into his mindset, but he, he stayed on course, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it absolutely right. Well, like um, a lot of people were saying, like, well, when are you going to be profitable? Well, you really have to double click into, you know, a, a financial analysis to understand Amazon was profitable on a unit and segment level very early on. Right. We just chose to reinvest all of that into infrastructure into scaling uh and and amazon was telling that story to the investor community from the very first shareholder letter the 1997 shareholder letter right, right. and um and so that has always been kind of the strategy which is invest in the long term uh keep reinventing yourself keep expanding the business when I was at Amazon, so this again, 2002, holiday 2002, 90% of the business was books, music, video. Think about the conglomerate business that Amazon is today and everything. Well, that didn't happen because they had a short-term orientation or because they were taking profits off the table. That, that came from exploring new businesses and being willing to invest in the long term. How did, um, how did, how did Jeff... Um... Bezos essentially ingrained this whole kind of culture of growth and innovation. I mean, what did it feel like? Like, how, how did people feel about it? Like when they were around him and stuff, were they as excited as he was? I mean, how, how did it work? Like, I'd love to know more about that. Well, I, I think like any kind of culture of leadership, it, it comes from the tone and tempo of what you practice. Yeah. And so, you know, we were always working these like, oh, this is an interesting problem. How do we think about the right answer for this, for, for in this case, but what's the underlying principles in which we're making this decision or whatever, or, you know, um, what do we expect out of ourselves and out of other leaders? And so we were always asking kind of these underlying systemic 
questions that helped us slow down and think about how we're thinking about something, right? And I think that's some of the most important thinking you do is thinking about how you think about something. And that's where these principles came from. So it came from both Jeff's own natural passion, his willingness to learn from others, but then slowing us down. It's like, oh, well, what's the underlying ethos or practice that we're learning from? And then, and this happened a couple of years after I left, they go, hey, we got to codify these so that it, you know, we kind of, we're started to scale, right? You go from like people directly impacting people to being able to impact a much bigger team so you need to think about some different mechanisms. So these leadership principles are essentially a probably the most important mechanism of how Amazon has created their culture, which is essentially like how they operate internally. That's what a culture really is. Mm -hmm. And that culture is successful because it both attracts the right type of people, but it helps it helps repel the people that, that aren't the right for that company. And I think so many people... They, they don't understand what culture is. It's, it's, it's part of your business strategy. Yeah. And part of it is to attract the right talent, but make it okay for the wrong talent not to be there. And, they, and everybody forgets that latter half of what good culture does, which is it creates a performing team. And you have to be willing to create a performing team out of a culture. Yep, absolutely. 100% agree. Um, interestingly enough, I know you talked about this in your book, um, the Amazon way, which was all around how Amazon created this, what you call customer obsession. What do you think? Um, and it, it's interesting because one of the things that come to my mind when we think of the word customer obsession was when Tony Heiser, who's, who was the former CEO of Zappos, the online shoe retailer that obviously Amazon had bought, you know, for a billion dollars, I think, which was I don't know. I can't remember how long ago it was. I think it was around 2012, something like that, or whatever it might be. I think it's about right. Yeah. Yeah, it's about right. So in terms of that customer obsession, how do you think that companies could use that model or use that strategy, whatever you want to call it? How could you use that as a way to stand out from your competitors and create that what we call that unique selling proposition? What's your thoughts on that? Um, I think there's really two lens that you need to think about customer obsession. Um, at the end, it's all about curiosity, right? Uh, trying to understand your customer, have empathy about what's going on, their orientation to a situation versus your orientation to a situation. The two playbooks are first kind of the tactical or situational playbook. How do I get, how do I serve today's customer with today's product or service and do it in a way that is, that hits or exceeds their expectations, resets expectations relative to that. And well, how do you do that? Well, you, 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 you do it through both trying to have great instrumentation in that experience. Like what are the metrics? How do I know what's going on with the customer and set SLAs, which are high bar expectations for, you know, what that promise is. And am I meeting that promise? And then building the tools and correcting the errors that go on back to that speed metaphor, right? That's about high precision, but then customer obsession is always also a strategic notion, which is, which is how do I slow down? How do I think about my customer or new customer and be curious about the, the more of the upstream and downstream experience I'm serving them here today, 
But what happens upstream? What happens downstream? What happens in a bad day for that customer? And how could I serve that customer broader than just I serve it today? That notion is really what's taken Amazon from being a books, music, video online retailer to a cloud computing company, to a publisher, to a device company. It's all been based on understanding that horizontal customer experience and being willing to explore it. So again, I think customer experience has a tactical nature to it, get today's customer perfect and a strategic nature, explore the broader customer experience and figure out where you could serve them bigger and broader and then do little tests in order to see if there's, there's a business in there for you. Interestingly enough, and I was listening very attentively to what you were saying there, um, around the whole kind of customer obsession, how did... I, I like the principle, and you might use this a lot with your clients, of taking, say, customer obsession, right? And either taking it wide or taking it deep. How did Amazon or even how, did, how can companies use that strategy to go either wide and go deep at the same time in order to hit all different angles? What's your thoughts on that? Um, it, 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 it's a playbook underneath that. There's no one simple answer to that, but you, um, I think it starts with a defining like in, in real terms, who are our customers, right? And so there's tools like personas and things like that you do right. to really put a name and energy and a definition behind you, who your, your customers are. Um, then you need to really think about like, well, what's my value proposition? What is my promise relative to that customer? That's both your brand and the service or the product that you're delivering. And then how do we actually evaluate how we're hitting or exceeding that promise, that expectations today? And that starts you on the journey. You, you have to um, be very deliberate, like relative to, I think, those kind of three steps um, and defining exactly who my customers are, exactly what's my value proposition, my promise to them, and how am I doing to that, doing to that relative. And then you can shoot out, and there's lots of ways to kind of organize relative to it. But I think those are kind of the three starting steps of really enacting customer obsession. But then there's a bunch of little mechanisms you can do too, like little tiny habits you can do. For example, start every meeting with exactly who's the customer that we're talking about and why does this topic matter to our customer? Mm. It's 30 seconds out of a meeting, but it really sets the expectation that the customer's not here. We have to represent the customer. It's everybody's job, not one person's job to be the customer advocate. So let's start every meeting with who the customer is and why this topic matters to them. That's a little tiny habit that you can do that starts breeding culture, which is like the way we do our work um, into everybody's job. I suppose it's kind of cutting on the point of um, borderline psychology, but also neuroscience, really kind of understanding behaviors. And do you see, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, um, I absolutely agree. Like I'm, I'm an industrial engineer by, by background, but I wish I had studied uh, psychology more. <laughs> and I think, I think I've kind of picked up on it a bunch. My, my clients are senior executives. And what I oftentimes realize, like, oh, this is, you know, we, we say it's like, you know, some sort of strategy or growth initiative or something like that. But really my job is to change this person's mind and then some of their behaviors 
relative to what they do. And so back to digital transformation, right? And 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 like, you know, there there's studies out there that like, you know, 75% of all digital strategies, digital transformations change, but yet, but yet the, the market is growing over 20% a year. Well, how can both of those things be true? I write about this in my newsletter, the Digital Leader newsletter uh, on Substack. How can both of these things be true? Well, they're true because A, everybody knows we need to transform. We need to change the way we compete leveraging digital models, but B, we're not very good at it. And so I have this thesis of, of integrated tools that we need to think about leadership and culture and strategy and tools and technology, not as separate disciplines, but as a systematic approach and calibrate each of those together in order to be successful. Too often, what happens is, you know, that the, the, they'll retain a consulting firm, a, a traditional management consulting firm, and they come up with a great strategy. But what they don't talk about is like some of the little habits that senior leaders do that will crush any type of change that's going on there, right? Yeah. Like, you know, a, a little tiny thing that senior leaders do is you'll be talking about a new idea um, where there's no proof of what it would be. Um, and what, what they'll do is they'll go, they'll, they'll go, oh, what's the business case for this? Seemingly innocuous question, but it completely shuts down the conversation, right? Because well, we have no idea what the business case for this is, but because they've been, you know, trained in traditional management science, that's the natural question you, you ask is, well, what's the, what's the ROI? What's the business case? And so to me, like, that's the right question at the wrong time uh, that you're asking. And those are little tiny leadership moves that need to be adjusted. I like that. It's kind of like looking at a from a top-down perspective, you know, like intertwining those principles that you just kind of, rather than kind of looking at the tick, the, I, I call it a tick box exercise. Oh, we've got the strategy. Oh, we tick that off. And which kind of drives me crazy really, because that's, it, it looks perfect on PowerPoint, doesn't it? <laughs> it's completely look like good on PowerPoint. Um, interestingly enough, um, I mean, you must've been in meetings with Jeff on a regular basis. Oh, absolutely. Tons. And so I'd love to know, I'd, I'd, I would have loved to have been on the fly on the wall listening in to watch. But how did Jeff run his meetings? Were they short, sharp and sweet? Were they kind of like long and, you know, sort of uh, tiring and energy zapping? Love to know what his meetings were like and any, any, uh, any advice. Yeah, I, I tell a couple of these stories in, in the book, the Amazon way and everything, but but, but I would say like they were strategic, meaning there wasn't one type of meeting with Jeff. It would depend upon, well, what's the topic at hand, right? Yeah. Um, and um, at his best, which was most of the time, Jeff just loved solving problems, like helping you rethink either the strategy or the tactics or like what's behind this? Like, why isn't this working right and everything, right? And he, he was such a, uh, a thoughtful, um, prag pragmatic problem solver and everything. He would get frustrated though, if he figured out a detail in your business that you didn't know. And I think that was a completely fair expectation um, that, of, of a senior leader that you should understand your detail better than he was able to figure out and everything, yeah. right? And that that's really at the end of the day was just him letting us know, like you have to pay attention to the details. The magic is in the details of your business, 
I also need you thinking big and, and thinking about growth and scaling and all those things. But you, it starts with understanding the details, that customer obsession aspect. And that's, what, that's where he would get frustrated. And again, I, I, I always like, like, that's a very fair expectation of, of me or of others. Yeah, I mean, you, I, I can understand that. It'd probably get very pissed off on, on occasions where you think, do you know what? I hired you guys to be better than me. Yeah, I'm telling you what to do. It's like, are you incompetent or something? Do you know what I mean? But, 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 but his notion wasn't, wasn't, I'm telling you what to do. It, 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 it's like, I need you to know what to do, you know, and everything, right? Yeah. Like if, 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 if his job isn't to tell us what to do, his job was to set strategy and create culture. It was our job to figure out what to do and to help get it done, right? Like yeah. you, can't, you can't run a big company <laughs> with a control mindset and just didn't have a control mindset. Love it, love it, love it. Very good. Um, interestingly enough, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, transformational change because I know that change can be very difficult with companies, right? It's the, the larger the company, the harder the change, the longer the change, you're going to get some resistance down the line. You're going to get some, as I had mentioned at the very beginning of our conversation, old dogs that have been in kind of positions and that have been in there for a, quite some time that are really causing some uh, conflict, should we say, or rubbing up the wrong, rubbing up the wrong shoulder, rub, rubbing the wrong shoulders type of thing. But how should, from your perspective, how should leaders be more open to transformational uh, into the digital world? Because, you know, it's this thing that's going to stay with us for quite some time. You know, we've done the information age, we've done the industrial age, we're now moving into digital age. What's your thoughts? Yeah, well, first, I would say if you, you know, let, let's, let's say um, Netscape going public in 1995 as the start of the digital era, right? Like, let, let's just pick that as a, as, a, as a starting point. That's when the gun fired uh, and everything. If you think the change that's gone on in the past now, call it that's, you know, uh, 27 years. If you think the change that's gone on over the past 27 years has been something, my thesis is that will that is that is just the warm up period to the next 25 years. I think the next 25 years, it, it, it's not going to be more. It's not going to go on a line. It's going to go on an exponential curve of change. And so we really that's why we need to be agile. Like we need to get better. We need to create a core competency out of change. That's both business change and personal change uh, as well. Right. And so th this is becoming more and more of a of a of a pertinent topic uh, relative to that. The first thing is, if, if you do it early, it's a whole lot easier to do. It, it's, when, it's when we delay the change and we wait until the business is static, till we're commoditized, till you know, we've lost enthusiasm uh, from our investors, from our customers, from our employees, and we have to make you know, cuts, you know, and think, well, that's when really, and I've been in these restructuring situations and everything like that's when it's like, hey, you can't be delicate. You have to be direct and draconian and, yeah. and nobody likes being put in those situations. So, <laughs> so the first rule of transformation is be curious and be early. Feel, you know, there's this concept of kind of um, guided wandering, right? Um, it, what we're typically good at is we're good at kind of setting a goal creating a plan and executing that plan. And that works well in the stuff that we understand. But wandering is different. Like we, we don't really know what, what's behind the door. We really don't really know what the next horizon is. 
but we can't be random about it either. It's kind of this guided wandering concept. Most big breakthroughs come from guided wandering. Science starts from, say, from failure and then iterates its way to success. Most business people are, are used to like starting with success. Like, of course, success is preordained. Of course, you know, the next thing that's going to happen is it's going to work. That's not the way real change or real innovation happens. You start with failure and then you iterate your way to success. And understanding that is absolutely critical to that leadership model of like, okay, am I operating or am I, am I inventing and innovating? If I am innovating, I have to have a failure mindset experimentation mindset. So those are some of the things that, you know, leadership teams need to prepare themselves for is, you know, this, this cycle of experimentation, which is, you know, essentially scientific failure time and time again. The key is making them small, doing them, you know, that's what the whole agile methodology is about. All of that is like, keep these experiments small. But again, we're inherently bad at that, right? We load all these obligations, requirements, approaches, <laughs> stakeholders who can basically just, they can say no, they can't say yes. They can, you have to operate with speed when you're experimenting. So a lot of the work I do is helping teams separate those two notions, figure out what the right operating model for that is for them, because there's no one right way to articulate that or to, to execute upon that. But understanding when we're operating in this, innovation, digital transformation playbook, like we have to operate at a different speed. And what we're not, we're, we're not optimizing for success. We're optimizing for learning. Oh, learning. Well, that's a complete, <laughs> you know, that opens the door, opens the eyes to like, okay, you know, let, let we need to be deliberate about our learning uh, and everything. Right. And, you know, you kind of turn, you try to turn from being a a know-it-all organization to a learn-it-all organization. And that that is when like true doors of opportunity start opening for an organization is when you turn to a learn-it-all organization. Very cool. Love it. You know, it's interesting because I know that um, reading about Jeff Bezos, he was a bit of a master when it came to reverse engineering. Right. He was he, he really found a, a great technique and created this big vision as such or, or whatever it might be. And and I think that's really ingrained into the Amazon way um, with regards to rever reverse engineering a process and then creating something. So you kind of like, you know, reverse engineering the process and then step by step chip at it and then you get what you've achieved. What's um, from your perspective, how important is reverse engineering? Um, for, you know, especially for, for companies and businesses and leaders, even if it's to execute a changing culture or whatever it is, are there any uh, techniques or strategies that you would use or you would um, advise to maybe clients that you've had in the past with regards to how do I, how do I embrace the whole kind of reverse engineering process type of thing any techniques what's part partly inferred by the concept of reverse engineering is um a you're learning from others right so go out and learn from the experts um what you can do but you, you, you can't be blind about applying other people's models to yours like you have to learn but then delicately and strategically apply it to your own situation 
Then B, start with the customer and work backwards, right? Always start with the customer experience and work backwards. But then C, you use your data and true truth finding. I, I, I write about truth finding in my, in my newsletter. Truth finding means not the easy or the, the um, comfortable uh, answer to the situation, but the real answer to what the root cause is. Like, why is this happening? Why isn't it? on time, perfect, hitting expectations, you know, exactly what the customer needs and wants. Why isn't it operating perfectly? Why isn't it easy to do? And then you have to be willing to make changes happen, right? You have to be willing to invest to do the next build, do the next iteration on that. And that is the secret of refining the, the experiences and the processes that have to scale. Not every process has to be scaled. Not every process has to be wired that tight, but the ones that truly matter to your customers and the ones that have to operate at scale have to be efficient. Those are the ones where you need that really tight, tight tolerance level of, of it. And reverse engineering really plays a role in like, hey, what can we learn from others and reverse engineer it from the customer's perspective. I love that. That's a, that's a great thought pattern. I love that. Some good stuff there. I suppose my last question, because I know that we're coming towards the end of our conversation, you know, you talked about speed quite a lot. And listen, I, I'm a big fan of speed, you know, being ex-athlete and things like that. But I also believe in the principle of patience. How does one determine what speed to go at, whether it be transformational change or, or changing culture? But how does one determine what speed one should go at and what are the pros and cons? Yeah, so I use I use speed as a metaphor to you have to be world class at delivering for today's customer and to in today's products and services and speed is about efficiency and repetitive motion you know and everything predictability nice. uh, and everything, but the patience aspect is is critical and especially I think I think patience is really Amazon's superpower. We talked earlier about like, hey, we were patient about you know profitability kind of, you know, and everything. We weren't patient relative to today's orders, but <laughs> we were patient in terms of reporting profit. We were investing it, right? They've been very patient on some of the, the new models that they have uh, been trialing. So for example, the Amazon Go stores, which has the just walkout technology experience, you know, they've, they've been in about 40 of those stores for the past five or six years. They're neither scaling it, nor are they shutting it down they're just trying to figure it out like it's obvious it's not quite what they need it to be yet so they're being patient in that experience experiment that they're that they're doing there you have to evaluate every single you know idea or or trial that you want to do or new concept you have to look at it through clear lens you, you can't you can't say well you know we are going to have a hard and fast rule that you know something has to you know be proven out in three months or something like that that won't work for every concept or every idea i think it's okay to have some guidelines relative to things like that but if you have a a very strict specific you know cadence or set of rules relative to how investments have to work you're, you're, you're going to optimize for those things that are highly predictable and you're not going to have that kind of guided wandering mindset for those things that like, I think this is a good idea, but I really don't know. Like I can't prove it out today. You're going to skip by those. And maybe that's okay for your business and everything. But, but I believe that if you truly want to be a company that is always reinventing itself, you need to have a portion 
of your portfolio, of your spend, of your activity be in kind of this guided wandering place that allows you to explore new, new capabilities better. I love that. It's, it's, it, that's, a, that's a great wrap up, by the way, ladies and gents. And listen, I hope that you've been enjoying some of our conversations because I think that what we've covered in the time that we've been talking, I mean, listen, I mean, we could have probably been talking for practically hours on end about, you know, Amazon and Jeff Bezos and, and John's experience. And I, I just think it, I think what we've covered today is like huge groundwork. So, John, I just want to say thanks so much for that. That you know, we've 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 done we've done a lot of stuff here. Well, well thank you for everything you do, and and um, you've, it's been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Definitely. Um, so, interestingly enough, because I always like to um, kind of e- end on a bit of a high. What is it that you're working on right now? Because I know that you've been, you know, you 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 know, you do a lot of management consulting work, and you've written best-selling books, which is kind of cool. But like, what is where, where do you see yourself in the next five to 10 years? I was just curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, more of the same. I'm at my best. I'm at my happiest when I'm solving real practical problems and putting strategies in place for clients. So I've got a handful of clients that I'm working on today where, where and this isn't big corporate strategy. This is like a product strategy or a customer nice. strategy or, or, or a digitization strategy, an internet of things strategy, and exactly how are we going to test, learn, drive for adoption, and, and iterate. And I'm working on a new book, which is always kind of my hobby. I write a, a newsletter, a weekly newsletter called the Digital Leader Newsletter. And that, uh, you know, that and kind of taking care of the dog more than keeps me busy. So. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. Very cool. Well, listen, guys, hope that you've enjoyed mine and John's conversation today. If you'd like to... Um, if you'd like to reach out to John, please do click on his links below. You can do that. And uh, also, if you do reach out to him, do, do mention the Game Changers Experience podcast because then he can know where he comes to and to from. And, uh, and you know, I'm sure in due kind, he'll obviously respond. So, um, so John, just want to say again, thanks very much for being on the show today. I really appreciate you. Thanks, Adam. Very cool. Listen, guys, hope you've enjoyed today's show. And again, like I say to you, if you enjoyed today's show, please do me a favor please do me a favor and also drop us a quick review either on Apple or on Spotify. And if you want to buy us a coffee that and the link is below buycoffee.com forward slash the, uh, the game changers, then you're welcome to do so. Anyway, from me and John, thanks very much. And hopefully we'll see you again. Take care and see you soon. Hey guys, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to today's episode on the Game Changers Experience. I would be gratefully appreciated if you could leave a good or a bad review. It doesn't matter, one or a five-star review, whichever you prefer, on any of the platforms, whether it be on Apple, whether it be on Spotify, Podchaser, etc. And please leave a testimonial or review about our podcast. And if you have enjoyed our podcast, then I look forward to seeing you on the next Game Changers Experience. Take care, see you soon, etc. And please leave a testimonial or review about our podcast. And if you have enjoyed our podcast, then I look forward to seeing you on the next Game Changers Experience. Take care, see you soon.